Welcome to the last ones at the bar. This week, we're all in the building together. My name is William Henry, and I might, might as well let the fellas introduce themselves. I'm Lavelle Jackson. Daniel Lee, 757 is fine, as you feel me. <laughs> fellas, how does it feel to be reporting live from the friendly confines of Contemporary Nova here in Alexandria? Oh, it feels good to, you know, be with, with, my, with my brothers, you know. Uh, doing what we do, doing it in person so you can get that vibe, the vibe that, you know, we want and we're looking for. So it's, it's all good. It's always good to be in the presence together, you know what I mean? Be able to look at each other's faces, be able to pick up on cues and stuff like that. So the energy is just always different when we record together, so like in person. So so now that we're here, uh, how's the weekend been going for you? Oh, man, it's a good week, you know. Um of course, I do what I do as far as work, you know, end of the month. But we had a, a fantastic week of boxing, you know, and I can't, I just can't wait to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mine was cool. I, I came up here for a baby shower, but, you know, I got here Friday, did a little bit of shopping, did a lot of eating, got to hit the bag yesterday and shoot, you know, the basketball a little bit. So it's been a pretty chill weekend. Okay, you shot a little hoops, huh? Try to see if I still got it, you know what I mean? Yeah, how was that, though? Did you, did you, uh, did you stuff Curry out there? I mean, what, what, what were you doing? I was more like DeMar DeRozan, but pre-playoff DeMar DeRozan. <laughs> you know, I, I just want to make sure the mid-range, you know what I mean? Like, the mid-range not dead to me. So, I want to make sure the mid-range is still intact. Still had the D-Rose floater. So, we good. My, my package is still intact, you feel me? Okay. I hear a one-on-one, uh, future one-on-one coming soon. He's talking more like a 10-day contract. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, speaking of hoops, how y'all like, uh, or who do y'all like in the second round? So, you know, you got the Bucks against the Celtics. They're playing right now as we speak. You got Golden State and Memphis. You got the Sixers and Heat. You got the Mavs and Suns. Do you see any upsets in the second round? I don't see it, man. Uh, I feel like with Memphis, I feel like this is going to be their year where they kind of learn from their experience. But I didn't like, I feel like they was playing with their food, playing against Minnesota. Like, I feel like Ja had some good moments, but he wasn't super efficient. And if he still, if he keeps playing that way, it's going to cost him. I think the Suns are going to handle business. I think Book will be back to being Book. I think the Heat just are too good all around. And I think the Boston and the Walkies were his interesting because they're two and three seeds. And so, I could see Milwaukee winning that, and I wouldn't consider that an upset. Yeah, isn't the uh, Golden State and Memphis two and three also? It is, so yeah, I wouldn't yeah. consider that an upset either. Yeah, you know, they're just a product of the seeding because you know Golden State had injuries. Mm-hmm. You don't like Luca? You don't think Luca's gonna be able to to outdo <laughs> the the book and the, the Sun? It's not enough, man. He's not, he, he's nice, but he's it's kind of gonna be like that Clipper series again. You know what I mean? Where mm-hmm. they look good, but that fool be out there with the slow motion. I'm like, they can't block that stuff. <laughs> right? right. Yeah, I, I don't see any any major updates. Of course, I, I see Golden State handling their business, the Heat handling theirs. Uh, like Danny said, um, the Boston Milwaukee series is where it gets interesting because I like how Boston played. Uh, in the last uh, series, but still the Bucks are the Bucks. But we will see what what, what happens going forward. 
Yeah, that's cool. I'm not gonna say anything. I'm gonna let y'all have y'all predictions on record. So <laughs> you see how you do it? Before we get started, you know, this is a really big, big weekend of boxing. Um, you have the NFL draft this week. Do y'all guys want to touch on that? Anything that you notice as far as even the trades, or you think somebody, a team, was like um, more successful than others when it came to the draft this week? Yeah, I like how the. Uh, both the Gi- the Giants and the Jets did this for this draft season. They really uh, made some, you know, pretty good picks. Um, of course, the Jaguars. I thought they were. I thought they would get uh, the the pick that the Lions got. I thought they would pick him first. But of course, that that pick was switched a little bit. But those teams, they basically got what I thought they were going to get. Um, I didn't expect Detroit to trade. Uh, I, th- I think two or three of their their first round picks to move to number eleven and get a you know a, a wide receiver that's currently he's a, he's a top wide receiver up for the draft, but you know he had an ACL injury, which you know we don't know if he's going to be the same. So I thought that was a huge risk, but as a Lions fan, I hope hope it pays off. I'm gonna let y'all pick on that. I'm a, I'm a type of fan where I just present the material given to me. So I, I'll holler at y'all in September. Like, for me, I don't really, I'm not that familiar with the players that came out this year. I just know that um, Georgia, they have some studs. So whoever got some of them players, Alabama always has some good players. But I'm just not familiar with like the college players, you know, per se. So I, I really wouldn't know who was most successful in the draft, but I yeah. was surprised at some of those trades, like the one with Hollywood going to the Cardinals. And so my main man, Kyler Murray, is going to have some weapons now. He got a deep threat, you know. And I think really basically from that trade, the biggest thing that I got out of is that next year on Madden, I'm going to be rolling with the Cardinals. You understand what I'm saying? So now it's time to get our Nostradamus on, fellas. You know, we, we had some really good fights this weekend. You had Katie Taylor versus uh, Amanda Serrano. Oh, man, that was an outstanding fight. You got the Valdez and Stevenson. You got a new pound-for-pound um, type fighter that emerged out of that fight. And then you had Beefy Smith versus Jesse Vargas. Um, those fights we will recap. And then we'll conclude things after that. We might discuss a little bit of Canelo. He has an upcoming fight. He was in the stands yesterday with a slick pair of pajamas on. And so, again, we'll recap those three fights, touch on the Canelo matchup. And so, basically, it's a show of recaps. No cap, you know, especially in this new era. You get it? That cap. I peep it. Bars. 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 But anyway, let's go ahead and get to... The outstanding fight that took place yesterday with Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano. Uh, what did you see there? Oh, man. Uh, this fight was just uh, exceptional. Everything about it was exceptional. I think this fight will change not only women's boxing, but boxing to come in the future. Uh, it, it was very impressive. Ladies, women boxing in general, it, it's gotten a lot of flat over the years. But for all the critics, they need to watch this fight. This fight... Let you know everything you need to know. Uh, these, this was a fight. I didn't even see a fight between two quote female unquote boxers. I saw a fight between two pound for pound boxers in general. Now, Katie Taylor is coming to the ring, uh, 20 and 0 with six knockouts. Um, Serrano, she put her uh, record on the line, which was uh, 40, 
two and one and one with 30 knockouts. Uh, the atmosphere was, was phenomenal. It was crazy. Uh, we had, um, Teresa Shields in the building. We had Jessica McCaskill in the building. If you don't know who these ladies are, look them up, research. Uh, cause we, we, it's going to be some interesting things happening in the future where the spotlight will be on them. So. Katie Taylor came to the ring. It was a slow ring, ring walk for her. I think I don't know if she's playing mind games, but you know, Serana was just up for this fight. You saw how intense the intensity when she was coming to the ring. You know, the emotion. Uh, she definitely was wearing everything that everything that she's been through up to this point on her sleeve. Uh, but when when the, when the bell rang, Taylor was very apprehensive of, of Serrano's power. But she did box well uh, in the first few rounds. Um, she was using, you know, the, pretty much the matador approach. She was, you know, using angles, using her jab, and moving around the ring a lot. And Serrano uh, was pressuring uh, Taylor pretty much. But something happened pretty much, I think, in the third or fourth round. Um, Taylor made a decision to pretty much stand there to fight with Serrano. Because, of course, Taylor is actually... Believe it or not, it's the bigger fighter in this fight. Serrano was the one who was, you know, moving up from, she fought at uh, featherweight and even, I believe, bantamweight and flyweight. But in this fight, Serrano was the smaller woman, but you wouldn't know it by the way this fight went. So, uh, they got to a, a shoot match in the, uh, in the middle, middle, middle rounds. In the fifth round, Taylor was hurt really, really bad. Uh, Serrano was putting on her, putting it on her where it was almost a, uh, could have been a stoppage. Actually had this, this a 10-8 round actually, uh, because of how hurt she was. And it was, I thought that she wasn't going to make it to the end of the, of the fight. But I believe around the, the ninth round, uh, Taylor really dug down deep and started, uh, getting back into her form of boxing and playing Matador. And so I believe Serrano really stepped off the gas in this fight. Uh, and she pretty much gave away maybe the, the last two or three rounds. Uh, in this fight. And that's how Taylor pretty much edged to win this fight. Now, look at the scorecards. I had Serrano winning this fight, uh, 95 to 94. And that was based off the 10-8 round and the fifth round, where, uh, if you scored it a 10-9 round for, uh, Serrano, this fight, to me, on my scorecard would have been a draw. I'm not sure where the 27, the 97 to 93 scorecard, uh, came from. I'm curious to see which rounds uh, they were given uh, Taylor. I think it was pretty much a, either a draw or Serrano winning this fight in a close fight. But all that aside, this fight was a phenomenal fight. I think they raised the bar really, really high. Uh, I think a rematch should happen. I think that's what's probably going to happen next. And one thing I do like about it going forward is that this fight puts the spotlight and even a little pressure on you know some of the fights uh, going forward. Like with the uh, Kalisha Shields versus uh, Savannah Marshall, now there's a spotlight would be on them to even see if they can perform uh, to that to a certain standard. Uh, and I like and I like it. I'm, I've been a big proponent of women's boxing. Uh, been the one arguing for their respect, and it seemed like last night they really really got it. And I just want to say shout out to both Katie Taylor and Savannah Serrano for you know meeting the expectations. I actually. Six exceeding the expectations that I have for this fight. I know it's going to be good just based on their styles. You know, two really good fighters, you know, they call Katie Taylor simply the best. And the fact that, you know, she did some things that 
justify her being called that name. And then also Amanda Serrano with that power, you know, you see why she has 30 KOs and those 42 victories that she had going into this fight. Like I said, what I saw was just a lady in Katie Taylor who showed so much grit and so, so much heart. You know, there was on several occasions where you had Serrano who almost, almost got her out of there. And like I said, that's why, to me, that showed me why some people consider her the number one pound-for-pound fighter um, in some people's eyes. Now, to me, she's a little bit past it, like slightly past it. But at the same time, you know, she showed the, the goal, you know, that she was outgunned early. You know, she survived, survived several rocky moments. Um, Serrano definitely won rounds, I want to say, two Rounds three, four, and five. She definitely won those rounds. Like you said, Phil, that round five, I thought she was going to get Taylor out of there. And to me, just in the fight with the long rain walk and then pretty much the whole fight, she just looked like she was in a daze and her, her corner man was trying to get her out of it. Like he was trying to talk her through it, but she still had enough wherewithal to, you know, take the onslaught that Serrano was putting on her, especially early, especially up until the middle part of the fight, and still perform, um, you know, to be able to ink out uh, a decision. I had it where I thought that she did win. I thought she won. If I thought she won, because there was a couple rounds in there that were, that were close, like the first round and a couple rounds early. But the ones that Serrano won, they were decisive. And so if you're just looking at that right there, you'd be like, she, you would, would rather probably have been Serrano after the fight or during the fight than you would have been Taylor. But I just thought that Taylor actually uh, won more rounds. She inked out more rounds. Um, Taylor's punches from rounds like six through 10, that's when, like, going into the fight, I was saying that Taylor shoots the more straighter punches and that Serrano, she kind of wings her punches a little bit more to get full leverage on those shots. And then that's when Taylor started to take over. And round nine, I thought that that was a real clear round for Katie Taylor. She was fighting on the back foot, and then she was just digging deep. But it was a tremendous fight, man. I, I really commend these ladies. It was an awesome display um, yesterday. It was a fight where both fighters left it all in the ring, you know, up until the end, up until the final bell. They were just going at it. And so, like I say, shout out to both fighters. For me, if I was Taylor, I would definitely consider retiring, you know. But if she just wants that one more fight, then make sure that you have the next one in Ireland, you know what I mean? But that's what I saw, man. Two great fighters and um, a really, you know, well-fought fight last night. Yeah, I scored this a draw personally. Um, really good fight, though. I personally gave Taylor the first two rounds. I thought she boxed at range, and it was almost like she saw Serrano's punches coming before they actually came. To me, uh, rounds three to seven went to Serrano. Four and five were obviously her best, but her output was just overwhelming for Taylor. And, and once Taylor decided to trade, you know, she had her hurt, nose busted, and she was basically in survivor mode. But um, towards the end of round seven, it was like the turning point to me because Serrano's output lowered. And then once Taylor no longer had that kind of dazed look in her eye and she got her feet back on her, um, that's when she started to go back to that game plan. Kind of what she was talking about, Will. And then in round nine, I thought, I thought that she made 
a subtle but beautiful adjustment. I felt like, you know, by this time we knew what Serrano wanted to do. We knew Serrano was coming. So to me, it seemed like Taylor took like just a step back with to where she was out of range, like just out of range. And so it forced Serrano to take an extra step or two to get in range. Unlike before, where she was just kind of like right there. And so basically when Serrano had to get in range, that's when she was kind of throwing a little wild. Like I noticed she was leading with the cross. And so when you, you're two steps behind, two steps away, and you lead with the cross, you know, you, you're throwing a punch across your body and you can't get nothing else off when you do that. And so it kind of allowed Taylor to be the aggressor because she was able to kind of react better to Serrano. And so I thought that that's kind of what put her back in the fight and ultimately scored the draw. You know what I mean? And so uh, all in all, I it, it could have been a Serrano win. It could have been a Taylor win. It could have been a draw. I would have understood either way. But to me, um, between this and... Lube and Fedora, those are my two candidates early for fight of the year. I would give the edge to this. Um, but it was a huge one for women's boxing. And there are other fights to be made for either fighter, but I think the best option is to rematch in, in Ireland. And to have all those women there for such a historic moment, and they was talking about, the announcer was talking about how uh, it, boxing was illegal in Ireland for a second. And so... Katie Taylor would like have her head your own and she would compete as a as a boy, like she would fight boys, you know what I mean? And how boxing came became legal during that time where she was fighting. And so she's a literal pioneer. And so, uh, and then, you know, Serrano with a good amount of her career fighting in like such smaller locations and going from that to selling out the garden is like nuts. And the crowd, the energy was just like it was crazy, and uh, I'm happy for women's boxing. Uh, I hope that it changes things in the future, and that's actually a question I wanted to ask you guys just to get your thoughts on it. Do you think this will change women's boxing in the future, and if so, like how? How do you see it looking practically? I think it just sets the bar uh, higher. Uh, we already, well, I already knew that the bar could be set higher, and a lot of these ladies, they want to have the bar higher. Um but this, this one actually gives them the platform where now a lot of promoters actually see that they can be successful even putting on uh, a fight between uh, two women on a pay-per-view. And the atmosphere will be there. The fans will be there. Uh, and the money will be there. And that's something they've, they've been fighting with for a long time. But also it, it gives more um, uh, leeway to fights, to fights of this magnitude in women's boxing being made. Because when you look in the history of women's boxing, you had fights like uh, Lucia uh, Riger versus Chris, uh, Christy Martin, which never happened. And then you had Layla Ali versus Ann Wolf, which didn't happen either. But we we got this fight. We got Katie Taylor versus um, Amanda Serrano. And, and like you said, Danny, this is a, a fight of year candidate. And we're not just talking, you know, female boxing, just boxing in general. This is a literal fight of the year candidate. And I agree. I will give this fight the edge a little bit over uh, Fendura uh, uh, Lubin. If, you, if listeners, if you haven't seen this fight, check it out. I mean, I, I, I definitely beg you to check it out. You will not be disappointed. 
Yeah, I would um, give this fight the nod over Lugan and Fandora just mainly because of the stakes, right? And then also the level of fighters. You have two pound-for-pound caliber fighters fighting against each other. It was, it was so much at stake. And so you, uh, to me, that, that's what puts this over the Lugan Fandora fight. Although, if you said Lugan Fandora, I, I would understand because that was an outstanding fight. Lubin showed so much heart. He was almost out of it. He put uh, Fendor down, and then Fendor finished him off. So that was, you can't lose either way. Now, as far as what does this do for women's boxing, I think you're just going to have more of the best fight the best because they see what it can do for you, right? You know, after this victory, and for both fighters, right? You know, Amanda Serrano doesn't lose anything from this. She probably gains even in this loss. So, you know, fighters can look at that and not be so reluctant on facing the best. It's more of a benefit for me to do it. And I want that, you know, allure. I want that uh, the eyes to be on me. And this would give them the opportunity for that to happen in such a, you know, the raucous crowd. And, you know, so I think it's, it's going to inspire fighters to fight each other. You even had a, a pretty big fight on the undercard um, as well, which was a unification matchup. Um, I can't remember the names of the fighters, but that was a pretty good fight as well. I also think that it's going to do this, which is better than anything else that these fights can do. And I think it's, it's, it's going to be big for men, too. You know, when you have these top-level fighters, like, really wanting to face each other, even a fight that we just talked about, I mean, that we're going to talk about so Shakur and uh, Valdez, you're going to see more of that happening, these unification matchups. But the biggest thing that this just did, I think that Serrano... And I think that Taylor just inspired the next generation of women to want to compete in boxing. It's like when Layla Ali, she said that when she, she didn't know anything about female boxing until she saw Christy Martin. Christy Martin inspired her. So I think they're going to inspire the next generation of female boxers. I do agree. You know, I'm looking forward to seeing what it looks like in, the, I would say, like five to ten years from now. I think that in terms of this fight, uh, as objectively as possible, I will say that it proves economic feasibility. I'm not a boxing historian, but I believe this is the first time where women, they sold out a major arena, they headlined the car, and they got paid what they're worth in the fight, like according to what the fans wanted to see. And I read that the rematch clause was based on the economic viability. So if the fight made the money that deemed it worth the rematch, there was going to be the rematch. But if the fight would have like been a good fight and flopped financially, I don't think there would have been a rematch based on what I read. And so it proves that. And so what we have is ground has been broken to where if the stars align, this can happen again. Now in terms of will it be another Serrano Taylor, I think that would be unfair to future women mega fights because this was kind of a perfect storm on multiple levels one like you guys said they're they're legends they're pound for pound they had multiple belts and things of that nature and on top of that you look at the fan bases that came out there were so many irish people some of them flew over from ireland to support and then you know it was in new york and so you had the, the puerto rican crowd out there and so depending on nationality they're there may or may not be that level of support in terms of like the gate sales, you know, depending on 
who fight. Like, Mikaela Meyer is, like, good fighter. She's not going to bring that crowd up. And so, um, I think it proves the, the viability. I don't know, like, month to month, year to year, how it's going to look, but I do think it is going to inspire the next generation. And I do think that the best will continue fighting the best because we can see, we see that it can be done. You right. Know? Yeah, I agree. I don't mean to cut you off, Danny, but that's, that's just how it is. And, and some of these um, guys, like a, um, some smart boxers, like a, a Mayweather, like Canelo, that, that's what they recognize as far as who they, who they decide to fight, right? Floyd made a living off of fighting Hispanic fighters during Cinco de Mayo and Mexican Independence Day because he know that they're going to tune in. That's a that's a solid base. I can go ahead and make some money. Then I'm also Floyd, so I got my base too. But then I get their base. Canelo knows that the UK has a strong base as well. So if I can fight somebody there, somebody that they think is good, so that that's always going to play a factor in like the success of the fighters. And like you said, you got the Puerto Rican contingency. You got the Irish. That's beautiful right there already. Like that's a match made in heaven, you know, as far as how lucrative it can be. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't expect like all of the fighters who maybe potentially are able to get to the high levels of pound for pound to, for them to be able to sell like this fight sold. But it's still, I think that you're going to see um, fighters wanting to fight the best so that they can prove that they're the best and that, you know, you, they still might be able to, like, as far as TV, I think that they might be able to sell fights that way if you had the best fight and the best. But as far as, like, to that to the level of a Serrano and Taylor, you know, you, you're asking a lot um, because they have such, you know, good, strong fan bases. Yeah, agree. You guys have anything else on, on this or on the boxing? No, nah, man, that was just a good fight, man. I, I really, I, I'm, I'm happy, man. Like, there's been some couple good weeks of boxing, starting with that Spence. You know what I mean? When Spence came in to that South Dallas uh, <laughs> song, you understand what I'm saying? All, then, then you have Fury with the, the dang old uppercut, and then this week you had some really good boxing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's going to keep going, too, so. It's uh, a hot summer. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It really is. But uh, moving on to the, the next card that was staggered. We had unification at the 130-pound division that a lot of fans were waiting to see for a while between Shakur Stevenson and Oscar Valdez. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, even though Shakur is only like 24 years old, this was a highly anticipated match because these guys were in the same weight class before, and Shakur was kind of calling out Oscar Valdez, and Oscar Valdez was looking on to other fighters like a Brichelle and you know, other things. So it got to a point where people were thinking that Valdez was uh, ducking Shakur Stevenson. So, you know, yesterday they got it on. So no duck, you know, they, they, they scrapped when the fight took place yesterday. I thought Oscar to me, like even starting off in the first round, he was winging some shots. He was kind of off balance a lot. He looked to me when we were like predicting a Brichelt fight. I had Brichelt. I thought Brichelt was going to whitewash him because I thought that Oscar was rather basic. He was just like a really gritty guy. He looked like a little gritty guy yesterday. Like he looked like the guy I thought he was before the Brichelt fight. But also Shakur played a lot, you know, within that as well because of how gifted he is. Now, um, rounds one through four, Oscar was stalking. He had a little bit of success you know, in, I want to say, rounds three and four, he was letting a few straight right hands. 
but just slightly. For the most part, Shakur is just too quick. You know, he has those cat-like reflexes. Round five, that's when Shakur started bagging up Oscar a little bit. He was landing some nice uppercuts, body shots. And then at that moment, he was using the jab more so as a rangefinder. When he was backing him up, Oscar couldn't back up. And he wasn't going to back up and defeat Shakur like he was doing against Valdez. Not Valdez, he was doing against Burchell. Like He couldn't use that same strategy. If he's backing up, it's no way in the world that he was going to defeat, unless he ran Shakur into like a left hook or something like that. But Shakur is just too too smart for that. Round six came about, and Shakur, early in the round, he knocked him down. Um, it's, you know, Oscar was off balance a little bit, but at the same time, it was a legitimate knockdown. Um, Shakur, he starts standing Oscar up with some straight lefts, and he was mixing in some mean body shots as well. Um, round six round, I mean, the sixth round on. And in the uh, ninth round, by the time you made it to the ninth round, I thought that Shakur was on the verge of stopping Oscar Valdez. And the referee could have waved it off in the ninth round. And I don't think anybody would have, like, objected to it. Um, but, you know, he's another fighter in Oscar Valdez who showed a lot of grit. You know, he wasn't going to quit. He kept coming and made it all 12. Only thing I didn't like about the fight was the last maybe 10, 15 seconds when Shakur looked at the clock. And then he started running away. You, I think that it's important for fighters, like especially the last impression that you leave, like that's important. You know, he could have just stayed there. At least don't run around the ring because what people are going to say, that's going to be the last impression. And then you're going to have a lot of people say, well, he's boring. He's a boring fighter. He, you know, this and that. But he, he wiped the floor with Oscar for the most part of the fight. But that little piece right there, I didn't like. Because like I said, that last impression That'll have people say, well, nah, you know, Shakur, you know, they'll think you're a little bit more tougher or at least they don't have the excuse of you running around. You know what I mean? But outside of that, I thought he did a superb job. The kid has cat-like reflexes. He has like just the instincts that he has to get away from shots, to throw the shots at the right time. Um, I think right now he's pretty much unbeatable at the 130-pound um, weight limit, with the exception. Now, I think Conceicao can make things tough, but I just think that he has too much for Conceicao. But that's an Olympian. You know what I mean? He won an Olympic gold medal. He's big. He's strong. But I just think that if they do fight after about the eighth round, I think Shakur will show his medal and that he will be able to decisively defeat him. But I think he will give him some trouble early on. Um, but outside of that, you know, 135 is where his real test is going to come, I think. You know, if he faces guys like Tank, even a Loma, you know what I mean? Loma would be a tough fight. And then you got Isai Cruz, who's going to bring a different set of problems. And then you also have like guys like Jojo Diaz. But all in all, man, it was a, it was a superb fight for Shakur. We got a, a potential star. You know, I think he enters the top 10 pound for pound list now, you know, with the win over Oscar Valdez. And as far as Valdez is concerned, has nothing to hang his hat about. He or head about showed a lot of heart. Um, and he was also gracious in defeat. You know, and I'm sure he'll be champion again in the future. But shout out to Shakur. I was going to let the record reflect. When we did the end of year pound for pound, I had him. It might have been four months too early, but I had him at number 10. I wanna, that's all I want to say. But, uh, yeah, you, you almost couldn't have asked for a better fight from Shakur. Before you finish, though, you want to um, give out the... The rankings right now, as far as our list that we've created. I just do the math, man. That was a late fight, bro. I'm just messing with But, yeah, I, I had it 119, 108 in Shakur's favor. 
towards the end of the fight is when he really started to open up. You know, like I really like obviously he worked off the jab a good amount in the beginning, in the middle of the fight, kind of picking him apart. But towards the end of the fight, that's when he started throwing these beautiful combos where, like, they were at different levels. Like, he would start with, like, a straight to the head and then, like, either throw another straight or a hook to the head. And then he'd throw a hook to the body or a straight to the body. So he was hitting them at all angles, and it was because he had spent eight, nine rounds setting up the jab. And so, you know, at this point, Valdez, you know, he has his guard up. And so at that point, Shakur can do what he wants, you know? And and he, he wasn't... Valdez wasn't as reckless towards the end of that fight either, which made him even easier picking for Shakur. And so he just did a good job of neutralizing, you know, what Valdez wanted to do. And you said that he looked more like who you thought he was going to be in going to the Burchelt fight. And you also said that it's testament to how good Shakur is, you know? Like, we've seen it before, like when... Shakur fought Joet Gonzalez, and, you know, people thought he was boring, and then Navarrete fights Gonzalez and has trouble. And then Shakur fights Nagatila, you know, and then people thought that was boring, and then Nagatila fights Burchell, gets him out of there. Granted, I want the same Burchell, but I'm trying to make a point here. And so, I think we do have a potential superstar, and I saw what you saw at the end of the fight a little bit differently. Because, and I'm going to get into this again a little bit more in a second, but... He might run into a problem where, you know, he might become avoided because fighters that he's going to want to fight might not want to fight him. And then because of his style, I don't know how fans are going to want to see him continue to just outbox their favorite fighters. And so to me, that end of that fight created like a little bit of like, it potentially created a little bit like a villain type of deal where... He becomes a little bit more polarizing and people might want to, oh, I don't like this Shakur guy. He's a showboat. I want to see him get knocked out. And so whereas maybe he would have ended the fight as a warrior, now you might have a guy that might be a little bit more kind of like a annoyance to some of the fans. And then, you know, they might be tuning in to see who can beat Shakur because I don't want to see him showboat like that at the end of the fight anymore. And so I don't know if that's what he was thinking. Or if he was just ready to propose to his girl or what. But uh, it was a good fight, man. Um, in terms of what he can look like in the future or who he can fight, he mentioned possibly cleaning out 130. The champions left there are uh, Ogawa with the IBF and Gutierrez with the WBA. But it would almost feel like a formality to fight either of those guys because, I mean, he's going to dominate them. Nobody wants to see those fights. And so no demand, but if they were to happen, Ogawa already fights in June. And so maybe he'll fight Gutierrez, who was supposed to fight, who was supposed to have fought Colbert, I believe. But then uh, he lost. And so um, if he moves up to 135, that's where it could get interesting. Because, again, he's proven that he can get knockouts at the elite level, but he's not a knockout artist. And so, you know, again, how long is the general public going to want to see him dominate? You know, like some people don't. You know, they, they would call Mayweather a runner, like, when he, in his older years. But really, if you, like, really enjoy boxing, he was putting on a master class. So, if you're not already money Mayweather, I don't know how much people are going to want to tune in for a master class. And so, I hate to say it, but I'm not sure how profitable that style is going to be in the long run. And so, if he doesn't start getting more of a knockouts or being more of, like, a personality... 
he might be stuck fighting like kind of underwhelming opponents. And it's reasonable to assume that all the belts at 135, if he moves up, they're going to be tied up for the next year between Haney and Cambosos. And so, uh, and if Haney wins that fight, he, you know, he might fight Loma. Um, so we'll see. In the long term, I don't want to see him against like a Tank or a Loma, but it's just so many, with both of those guys, we don't know who Tank, who's going to promote Tank. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with Ukraine. And so, um, I think that, in the immediate future, he's probably going to fight somebody that's kind of overwhelming, or sorry, underwhelming, but to stay busy to set up that next big fight. But I think that he's proven. I think he's proven that he could be a star. He's proven pound for pound talent. Uh, as far as Valdez, it was tough seeing him at times, but it was kind of what I expected. You know, he came in kind of wild and he paid for it when he got knocked down in the sixth round, where he looped, you know, he, he kind of lunged in. Shakur had kind of like found that angle and then got him with that hook and had him against the ropes. But, um, you know, it was clear that nothing was working. I don't know what Reynoso was telling him, but his plan had been neutralized. And so um, I think Shakur just had too much pop for him to even really try to go in for broke. And so I think he'll be okay at 130, assuming he stays there. I think they'll build him back up with a lower level fight or two and then depending on what Shakur does, I think he'll compete for another championship at some point in 2023, uh, late 2023 maybe. But um, it was a good fight. It was a good fight. Yeah, I thought it was a superb performance by uh, Shakur Stevenson. Um, I thought he controlled the distance very, very well. I mean, Oscar Valdez uh, would lunge in and, and pretty much play right into Stevenson's hands where Stevenson would take maybe a half step back or to the left or to the right. Uh, and Stevenson has so much, you know, um, height and length over Valdez that that was all he needed. Um, and Valdez, um, one of the things that Valdez didn't do a lot of was try to jab his way in. He pretty much stood in the high guard and threw some hooks around, but he didn't really, and threw the straight right a lot. So that tells me when he throws that straight right that he could have threw a jab. It wasn't because he was afraid of being countered because he was throwing that, that straight right and getting, you know, tag two. So it, I thought he underutilized his jabs to try to, you know, get in on inside. Not saying that he was going to land a jab, but at least using that jab to set up some, some more shots. Um, we did see him go to the body, but he didn't have the, the strength to uh, really uh, deter Stevenson too much. You know, Stevenson felt those shots. He, he said he did. He felt that, you know, Valdez was strong, but Stevenson is a big, strong guy at 130 himself. I think he's underratedly strong and big for 130. Like, when people look at him, they say he has no power or that he, you know, they act like he's this small guy. But he was pretty much, when he was hitting Valdez, Valdez was really, really you know, filling them shots. And it looked like at a certain spot that this this fight was going to get stopped. Uh, it's just that Valdez had that grit about him to, to stay in there. Um, and, and so sometimes I thought, I was, the way Valdez was, was, you know, reaching in and, and, and winging those shots. I'm like, I'm, it was looking like Rocky Four, like Rocky trying to shoot that shot at, at uh, the Russian Drago, and Drago would just step back, and that was it. It was almost like watching those, uh, if you ever ever play Mike Tyson's Punch Out, and you try that star punch on one of them big guys that can move out the way, they just move out the way and look at you. That's kind of how he was looking at certain spots. Um, and, and Stevenson, just a, just an uber talent. You know, and, and like, like, uh, I agree with you, Will, on that point about the last 10, 15 seconds when he started running. I, I didn't, I didn't really like that. 
you know, even if you would have just used his footwork and, 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 and you know, uh, sidestep around about this, I think that would have been better than just pretty much running like, I got this, and laughing about it. It's like, I didn't really like that, you know, for, for someone who's trying to be a, you know, a pound-for-pound king in the future. Like, you know, a lot of guys, they want to be like Floyd, but I don't, I don't see Floyd ever doing that, actually. You know, I don't see it that way. I mean, I saw Floyd trade with Oscar in the last 10 seconds of that fight where Oscar could have laid a left hook on him and put him to sleep. So, um, but other than that, Stevenson fought a, a great fight, you know, um, at 130 is really only uh, Roger Gutierrez and uh, a couple other fighters, but at 135 is going to be interesting because, you know, like I said, I think his, his biggest challenge at 135 is probably going to be uh, a Devin Haney, but I think by the time Haney is done with the uh, with Cambosas, he's probably going to move up to 140 because he's a big guy himself. You know, he, he's barely making 135, so I, I think it's some big fights to be made at 135 for Shakur Stevenson. Uh, I think that's where he's going to be more more so challenged. And, I, and he's a guy who I think will probably end up at about 140, I think. I mean, he's a big guy. You know, when you look at him dimension-wise, how he looked, especially how when he started, which was a couple of years ago, to how he looks now, you can tell he's putting on a lot of muscle. His back is, like, filling out more. He's getting that man strength where he's tagging guys and they're getting hurt. I mean, he's, he's going to be pretty good. He's going to be pretty good. He's going to be hard to beat going forward. And, and, and this could be a potential pound-for-pound king that we're looking at. Anything else you have to share? You want to share? Yes, sir. I was just going to say, man, I, I just want to shout out Oscar Valdez for taking a fight. Because a lot of those guys who are slick boxers like that, they get avoided. Like the Andrades and people like that. So for him to take on the challenge, you know, that's, that's commendable. But I don't think this fight would have been made. If Bob Arum wasn't going through the lawsuit that he's going through with Terrence Carver. So I got to shout out Terrence Carver for putting that lawsuit on, um, old Arum. Now, when I mentioned Floyd, I, I was saying that in the sense of, um, he did that twice. And that's when people say, oh, he's boring. He's this and that. I think you're right. Did, did you say the Oscar fight? He, he kind of like at the end. Or he traded with Oscar at the end. Oh, he traded with Oscar at the end. It was the Pacquiao fight. Like the Pacquiao fight. It was the last few seconds of the fight, and he went around and he started running and said that he won. And so that was the last impression that people had of Floyd in that fight, and that's all they kept saying. Oh, he ran against Pacquiao. He, he wasn't running until, like, the last maybe 10 seconds because it wasn't nothing else that Pacquiao could do in order to secure the victory. I just like for guys just to stay. Don't run. Like, just don't do that. Do anything else but that. You know what I mean? You can hold and tie up or something like that, but don't do that. Because I've seen, I, I know how those fans are. They're real fickle, and they're gonna use any excuse to take away from like a huge moment in your career. Being like unified for at one thirty, that's not typical. Like most guys, that's that's something that's I, I shouldn't say it's unprecedented, but it's rare that that happens. And that's a monumental moment in a person's career. You don't want like people to have something that they can pick and choose to say that your performance was less than stellar. Now, I look at it differently as far as his power. I don't necessarily, I think with him, it's the precise nature of his punches. I don't think it's the power. He's strong, but he's not, to me, that power. That's where the problem to me is going to happen for him if there ever is a problem when he's facing like bigger, stronger guys at 135, at 140, and then they might be able to wear him down. 
you know, if that's ever the case. But he's had so much skill that he's even going to get stronger. Um, I don't think he's at his peak. So he's got a, a long run, at least until for another, like, six, four to six years. If he stays on the straight and narrow and he's training he, he like he's doing right now and trying to be the best, and that's what it appears that he wants, you know, the sky's the limit for the kid. It's just that's the only problem that I see is the lack of pop in his punches, and that's at 130. So when you go up against bigger, stronger guys, you know, will that be an issue? There's two points, two other points that I want to make. Valdez, I believe he'll get a belt soon as Shakur leaves and relinquishes his belts. Because I think guys like Woody Aries, I think he'll beat those guys. It's just with Shakur, it's the matchup problem. He's too quick, he's too fast, and that's just going to be like an Achilles heel for the style and the the skills that Oscar has. But he'll beat anybody like those guys who are not much special effects with them and they might like they like to come forward, then he's gonna be nailing with some of those hooks and shots that he likes to throw. The last thing that I was gonna say is I think Shakur may miss some of the big fights at 135. Because I think Ryan Garcia probably will move up before he ends up fighting somebody like Shakur. He doesn't seem like he wanna fight somebody like Haney. And they kind of like similar, so I don't think that he would be willing to fight Shakur. So and then also he's a bigger 130-pound fighter, 35-pound fighter, and I think he'll be at 140. And then, like you said, I think that Devin, he's going to be tied up with Cambosis for at least two or three more fights, or at least two more fights, Then he might have a Loma fight, you know, looming. And so he's already talking about he wants to move up. So I don't see him sticking around to fight Shakur at 135. But I do think a tough fight, Pitbull is going to be tough for anybody. I think that he'll be able to, like, do the bull and matador thing against him. But that's going to be a tough 12 rounds against what you call him, bullet head. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be tough. But I like to see that one. Still. But that's all I got. You got anything else? I'll wait for you to finish your sentence so I can call it bullet head. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, no, I, think it, I think it'll be a tough fight. I think even um, he might just have to get some of those up-and-coming dudes as they come up. Like, uh... There's that one guy in lightweight that uh, he he has a box like Ali, but he's like Latin. You know, you know what I'm talking about? He he fought somebody like he's gonna have to catch guys like him on the way up. You know what I mean? Because yeah, at the top you're gonna have that same issue we're talking about. Like Tio Tio's gone, um, and so I, I think that's what it's gonna have to be for him. Like I don't think they're not gonna put him against like a Javier Fortuna, but no, nah, that's all I got. Unless he just like. Spend a little time at 135, then he just jumps up to 140. Yeah. Or he might he might do a tank. He might. I mean, I don't know. His, his body is different than tank, but he might be able to just hop. Yeah. You know? We'll see. For the right fights. Yeah, yeah for the right fights. Yeah. So, also, we had an uh, exciting fight that uh, came on yesterday against Jesse Vargas versus uh, beefy Liam Smith. Uh, you check that fight out, Danny. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I was able to check out some of it. Um, I don't have a whole lot to say about it, but I will say that I did think that this was going to be... So I, there were two things coming into it. I felt like as fighters at their respective weight classes, I felt like Jesse Vargas was a class higher than him at 147. And so I thought that maybe there was a chance where Vargas' class could shine through. But I also thought that it was a mistake for this to be his first fight at 154, because he had a 26-month layoff, and he's not that young. And so it was either going to be 
either Vargas's class as a fighter was going to shine through, or Beefy's class as like the actual wit class at 154 was going to shine through. And you know, as we as we saw, Beefy his his weight class like he showed why there are weight classes and. You know, I, I, I will say that, you know, I thought Vargas was doing well in the first three rounds. Uh, but you can tell that his shots weren't having any kind of, like, real effect on, on Smith. And it was almost like the more Vargas landed, the more aggressive Smith got. Like, that's what I noticed as the fight progressed. And then by those middle rounds, it just got to the point where Vargas, he couldn't keep that same pace he had in the early rounds. And Smith just imposed his size. And so... Um, you know, he did what he did, and the fight was stopped in, I believe, the 10th round. And I thought it was good that the ref did that because his corner was saying in between the rounds, like, I love you, but if you don't show me nothing, I'm going to stop it in the corner after this round anyway. And so I thought the refs did both Vargas and his corner a solid by letting them go out that way. But I thought it was a good fight for Smith. I do think that he still is who he is. Um, you know, he was saying that going into the fight, this fight was going to show him whether or not he should retire. And while I do think that, you know, this will extend his career a little bit, I don't see him becoming a champion or even competing against the elites at 154. As for Vargas, I think she, I think first Vargas should decide whether or not he still wants to continue to fight. And if he does, he should go back to the John board. Like, I don't know if he can still eight 147, but if he can't, he should fight either smaller or older, you know, light middleweights that would allow him to better acclimate to the division. Because that was just too much. And unfortunately, you got to find out those things in real time as a fighter. Yeah, uh, this was a solid fight. It's pretty exciting how, you know, the way it went. Um, get shout out to Will for calling this like, down the, the, the pipe correctly, you know. Uh, I could I, I had a, I could see it going that way. I didn't think it was going to go that way. Uh, one thing that that I was surprised that that Beefy was surprised with that he was fast enough to punch with Vargas, where I thought he would have been a little slower, and I thought Vargas would have been fast enough to catch him in those exchanges more, and that his sharper shots would have effect on him. But Beefy was just going forward, man. The size, strength, and accuracy of, of of uh, beefy was just too much, you know. Vargas is doing well, I think. Yeah, in the first three rounds, it's just that uh, the middle rounds, you could you could tell the effects, which is uh, the effects of beefy's punches on Vargas was just taking its toll. But Vargas stayed in there, you know, the the rest of the way, and even at times, you know, I think one shot even buckled uh, beefy just a, just slightly a little bit, you know. So Vargas was still showing some stuff, but you could tell the the, the beating was coming too much. Um, and as you said, Danny, the ref was doing him solid because Vargas was going to stay in there. He wasn't going to quit. And, it, and that's one of those fights where the more you watch it, you're like, you know what? Vargas is a tough guy. Maybe he deserved to see the end of the bell. But at the same time, it's one of those fights where somebody can get hurt, you know, when, when you're just taking shots and you want, you're just stubborn and won't go down. So the referee definitely did his job, you know, so we don't have to have a, 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 Great night of boxing, then talk about a negative side of boxing, something bad that just happened. So, uh, shout out to the ref, you know, uh, and shout out to Beefy. He's, he's showing that he, he still belongs around. I don't, I'm not, like you said, Danny, I don't think he should be on the top level, but he, he should be around if he wants to make some money. You know, he, he's still good enough to make some money. So, pretty solid performance. It was a pretty exciting fight. 
even a loss of August makes a fight exciting. So, shout out to both of those guys. Beefy. Yeah, you're going to have to start calling him top sirloin. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, he did his thing yesterday. But anyway, um, I think that, like you said, Liam, he was talking about retirement, so he can put all of that, you know, on hold for now because he did an outstanding job last night. This probably is his biggest win of his career. You know, he had the two victories over Liam Williams. Um, but I think that Jesse's name um, is much higher than, than, I don't know who's better, you know, as far as, like, skills. But, you know, as far as, um, like, name, notoriety, this is the biggest win of his career. Um, although he's 33 years of age, you know, you know well-deserved victory. I thought the first four to five rounds, I thought that it was um, really close. And even one of those rounds, they said that um, they landed the same amount of punches in one of those rounds. That's how close it was. But I thought going into the fight that Jesse, he would have had needed to sweep the early rounds in order to put him his, himself in position to get a victory um, because he tends to tire around round five and, and round five on. And that's not going to that'll spell trouble for you fighting against somebody that's bigger, stronger, probably more better uh, conditioned than also somebody who's been active. That was the telltale sign of this fight when you said he had a 26-month layoff and he all, to me, he always had stamina issues. And so you couple those two things together, that that's the reason why I predicted the way I predicted um, because I didn't see his stamina, you know, getting any better. And once you got to about the sixth round, then that's when you had Beefy. He was just, you know, he upped the ante. You know, he basically MOP'd him, you know, ante up. And Liam, you know, like I said, I commend him because he's he's as tough as nails. I've seen him in other fights where he just stuck in there. He did the Katie Taylor thing where he was in, in his last fight. He was fighting against a guy from the U.K. who was supposed to be the next one up. And he's a heavy-handed puncher. And Lee, and um. He was taking some big shots. And matter of fact, he got dropped maybe the third round. But he just hung in there, hung in there. He just kept, like, just going and, and fought through it. And then eventually he ended up catching that guy and knocked him out in the eighth round. So that showed me a lot. A lot of times when I talk about those U.K. dudes, I'll be talking about how, like, they, like, uh, English muffins. He's not an English muffin. Like, Liam Smith is a tough dude. And that's the reason why I say that he's one of those guys that, if you slacking a little bit, if you're not taking, you know, boxing serious as you should, then he's going to expose you. He's definitely going to expose you. Now, like Vargas is doing that political thing where he's halfway into politics and then he tries to buy. He's not Manny Pacquiao. Like Manny Pacquiao can do that because Manny Pacquiao had those, has those special effects and he's a gifted fighter. I never saw Jesse Vargas like that. I always thought Jesse Vargas was like the little engine that could. And... You know, he overcomes, like, some of the skills that he lacks, you know, with that heart and determination. But it's still a couple pieces that's missing that will put him over the top to be that special fighter of, like, a Manny Pacquiao. Now, the last thing I'm going to say, again, shout out to Beefy, man. I think that, again, he's one of those guys. I think that he can really be tough for any of those guys in the top ten, with the exception of the Charlos and, you know, I think uh, – Maybe even like a Fundura might just be a little bit too much for him right now. But what he's going to do, he's going to hang in there until he can't hang in there anymore. You better not, you know, let up at all on Leah. You know what I mean? So, again, shout out to you. 
I just think that this puts him in a position to get a nice payday. You know, like Canelo says, payday, payday, payday. So you can go ahead and get that. But I don't think that he's, his skills are good enough to be able to defeat the top-level guys. But anybody underneath there, you know, be on the lookout. You know what I mean? Make sure that you, you know, have all your T's crossed and I's dotted before you get into the ring with beefing. Last thing I'm going to say is this. You know, I, I talked about going into this fight, Jesse Vargas, you know, his campaign and everything. And he, you know, put his platform together and he says that he's against critical race theory. You know, and I can respect that, you know. But I'm going to tell you like this, Jesse, with them swollen eyes that you have, you know, maybe now your eyes can celebrate Black History Month. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> On that note, man, that's all I have, man. You guys... <laughs> You guys have anything else about that? No. No, we don't. And so, in closing of this episode, I know you fellas want to talk a little bit about next week's fight with Canelo against Bill. Uh, You guys have any final thoughts before uh, that May 7th showdown? I think I'll keep mine quick. I just think that it just depends on how much Bibble's power can rattle Canelo. Because if Canelo always starts out slow and takes his time and figures you out and then he breaks you down. So if Bibble's power can, you know, kind of force him to sort of rethink his plan and then have to resort to something else, then we got a whole different fight. If his power does not rattle Canelo, then... We're going to have the same thing where Canelo gets, he gets a slow start, and then he starts opening up by the fifth, sixth, seventh round, and then he starts throwing body hooks and stuff like that, and either Bill's going to fall or he's going to win a decision, because Bill's not going to win a decision. Canelo already has a deal on the table, so he's going to have to get him by knockout or he's just going to lose, and so that's how I see it going. Yeah, I agree with you, Danny, especially on the power piece that Bibbo is going to need to do something to, to get Canelo's attention, you know, snap his head back or anything. Because he does, Bibbo does have the movement piece. The, he, can, he can move pretty, pretty well and use that height and length, which could give Canelo a little bit of trouble in the beginning. But once Canelo starts tracking you down, you have to have, you know, stamina. You're going to have to have, you know, toughness and grit. The toughness and grit, I haven't seen that from Bibbo, and I think that could possibly be a downfall against someone like Canelo because you have to be able to, you know, tough it out once they start, you know, when, when Canelo turns it up, if you're not able to weather the storm, weather the storm or, or at least are skilled enough to avoid that storm, then, then he's just going to be ready to get eaten up by Canelo. But that's why you fight the fights, man. We we can only predict, but it's up to Bibbo to determine how, he's gonna, how this fight is going to go, how he's going to perform in this fight. So I, I expect Canelo to to pretty much win this fight. Uh, it's possible that he could stop Bibble because some, something about Bibble is like I mean he, he seemed to have gotten seemed less tougher than he used to be, and that concerns me a little bit. You know, he seems like he doesn't like to you know exchange and take punches, and, that, and I think Canelo sees that. I think that's a, that's not you know and I don't think it's going to fare well for him. Where do you see that at though? Where do you see Bilbo showing that? Like, where did you see that? I mean, he, when you look at his fights, 
it seems like the second half, it's like he just starts just moving and moving and moving. It's like, man, you can sit down that a little bit, especially against an opponent that, it'd be against opponents that are, he can outmatch, you know what I'm saying? He doesn't have that killer instinct. And you're going to need that against somebody like Canelo because Canelo says that, you know, you're scared or anything like that. You know, he's going to get you. It's, it might look like, uh, you know, what Canelo did against uh, Kovalev. When Canelo, Kovalev lost that killer instinct, you know, Canelo was like, yeah, I got you. And Kovalev took it back, though. That's what it looked like to me. They were taking that back, too. That's, that's what it looked like. like. I think that might be the, the, the case more than anything else because Canelo is way too confident going into this fight. How do you show up yesterday in your pajamas, <laughs> you chilling? Like, you don't have a worry in the world. That's the thing to me. Like, going into a fight, you are the smaller dude going up to a new weight class. You're fighting against arguably the number one fighter in that new weight class. And you that confident? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like... It's like he already got it in the bag. Now, if this fight is what it is, you know what I mean, like a real legitimate fight, I think the things that's in Canelo's favor is the fact that he's going to beat Bill on the inside. I don't think Bill has a good inside game. I haven't seen it. And so I think he's going to be landing some mean shots on the inside because that's Canelo's wheelhouse. And how much of the fight is going to be fought in there? So will Bill, you know, choose the box? Because he does have good movement. He has a good one, too. If he chose to choose to do that, and that's the direction that the fight goes, is going to be a really good um, in favor of Bilbo. He can win the fight that way. Now, I don't know, you know, like you said, as far as the judges, they may see things differently. But as far as what the fight fans will see, if he does that, can he do that for all 12? Because I've seen Bilbo, he's doing this one too, but sometimes he gets nailed with like these shots. You know, he has a good chin. I've seen him get hit with some, you know, pretty big shots by some pretty heavy-handed guys at 175. So I think his chin will hold up. Is the moment too big? This is the first time you fight. This is one thing to fight against, you know, Joe Smith. It's one thing to fight against Craig Richards or whoever the guys that you were defending your belts or winning your belts against. But the Canelo fight is a whole different ball. It's like a Super Bowl. You know what I mean? You have everybody there. You got the press conferences. Is he going to be able to hold up throughout all of that? And be able to still to perform. So those are things that I'm thinking. I just think that Canelo's way too confident. If Canelo had a little bit of concern going into this fight, then my prediction might be a little bit different. But the fact that he's over there in that Dolce Gabbana or whatever it is they be wearing the week before the fight, you know what I'm saying? That just leads me to believe that Canelo's gonna get the victory. Anything else you guys have before we wrap things up? Yeah, before we wrap up, I just want to shout out uh, Alexandria Boxing Club. You know what I mean? They had three guys on the car yesterday. Troy Isley, I believe he was on the non-televised part, but he did his thing. He got the stoppage win. Keyshawn Davis, who uh, trained both there and down in the hometown, Norfolk, uh, he got the stoppage win against a, a good opponent based on where his experience level is. He looked very good doing it. And then, obviously, shout out to Shakur. So, shout out to the Boxing Club. You know what I mean? Keep doing your thing. Yeah, shout out to uh, Shakur Stevenson and Kayshawn uh, Davis and, and Troy Isley. You know, putting my uh, the city that I live in currently, you know, put some shine on it, Alexandria. So, you know, makes me a proud guy. Yeah, man. You know, I, I shout out to the whole weekend of fights, man. This has been, you know, going into the summer. You know, it's, it's getting hot, man. You know, and, and fighters need to keep this uh, this level up that we've been seeing each and every weekend. So I'm just looking forward to the rest of the summer, you know, although we're not in the summer, but 
as we get closer to the summer and into the summer, I'm just looking for some really exciting uh, matchups that's going to take place starting next week with the Canelo match against Bill. Last thing I'm going to say, fellas, you, you, you still don't have the numbers as far as the predictions then, you know, as we, we, we wind things down. <laughs> Nah, I don't know. But y'all have any idea who's up? You probably are. Let me know you up. If you ask me who's up, you know, as far as predictions, I say I, I, I. Kind of like JT Money and Soleil back in the day. On that note, we out. Y'all have a good one. Peace. Until December. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man.